This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to another episode of the WTF Podcast, where we discuss the challenges faced by Black entrepreneurs in the U.S. and globally, particularly women, to access funding to grow or scale innovative ideas and demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. This season, I have been doubling down on conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access to funding for founders who have been traditionally underrepresented in the entrepreneurship ecosystem, and immigrant founders are a particularly underrepresented group within the funding and entrepreneurship ecosystem. Given the ongoing national debate in the U.S. regarding immigration policy and the well-established importance of immigrants to entrepreneurship in the United States, the Center for American Entrepreneurship analyzed the Fortune 500 data for 2017. They found that 40%, 43% of these companies were founded or co-founded by an immigrant or the child of an immigrant. They also found that the occurrence of first or second generation immigrant founders is significantly higher among the largest five Fortune 500 companies, accounting for 52% of the top 25 firms and 57% of the top 35 firms. However, the immigrants referenced in that study were white and mostly male. To name a few, they included Elon Musk, Walt Disney, Henry Ford, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, and Estee Lauder, etc. If you are paying attention, you'll notice a pattern. My guest today is Chinedu Aneku. Chinedu is the general partner at Passbook Ventures, a venture capital firm that invests in diverse new American and global founders building the champions of borderless commerce. Chinedu, welcome to the WTF podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's get into it. Tell me about your journey to starting Passbook Ventures. So I'll give you the short version. The short version is um, I spent a good amount of time professionally, basically pursuing, supporting founders um, and building out a skill set from law to in, uh, investment banking to development finance and also um, engineering and all of these sort of experiences really shaped me. But throughout that process, there was one um, that really rang home. And that one event was that I was on the fund formation team as a lawyer of Bioagunlacy. And Bioagunlacy is this very powerful businessman that worked for Goldman Sachs. And he previously worked for uh, Credit, uh, Credit Suisse, which was First Boston, all these kind of iterations of corporations. But he was a senior leader there and he was spinning out to do his own fund, which was called Global Infrastructure Partners. And I helped with that fund formation as an attorney. And I realized that this glass ceiling that I didn't know about, I didn't, I just saw a person looking like myself that was working and doing something amazing, or at least what I thought was amazing, channeling savings into opportunities that can, you know, create multiplier effects. And I, uh, in communities and whole countries, and I said, wow, this is really, uh, I, I didn't, I learned about private equity. I just didn't know it was a game that I could play. And then when I saw it, I said, wow, this is something I wanted to do. Now, Biogunlessy's Fund is the largest Black immigrant-led um, asset manager. And um, so that that's something that, you know, I was at the formative stages of and seeing that 
really made me draw this experience that I wanted to be on the other side of the table. So with Passbook Ventures, I, you know, kind of honed my skills in venture as an angel investor, as an accelerator manager, as a mentor on a lot of startup programs and judges for startup competitions. I was a principal at a uh, fund called Exponential Creativity Ventures. And, you know, all the while I had this thesis around immigrants and how especially diverse immigrants are generating great returns, uh, building amazing companies, but also underfunded such that it there's time theft, that they, if you gave these entrepreneurs more capital, then they would be able to achieve things quicker. And then you'll have better outcomes because it would be shorter and the same sort of trajectory, or you, they could capture new opportunities that they wouldn't have been able to if they had funding. So that's what Passbook Ventures is. I met a partner who had a similar experience as mine. You know, I've spent time in different countries, raising capital, investing in startups, supporting them. He did the same thing. My partner, Mark Fleming, he did it at Alibaba, and he, you know, kind of did that all around the world, but looked very heavily in Latin America, Southeast Asia, and my experience in Africa and India kind of paired very well together as an experience that we could bring to founders, where there's these fast growing technology markets that a lot of these diverse new immigrants are actually coming from, and they have this, you know, they have these ethnic origins that they understand how dynamic the technology ecosystems are not only in the United States, but around the world and bringing together this ecosystem of, you know, the US immigrants, and then also making sure that they are building or tapping into the trends, the consumer FinTech and um, other mark e-commerce trends that are happening all around the world is what Passbook Ventures is about. So I'm, uh, that's what led me here. So is that the value proposition that you pitch when you are fundraising for this this venture? Well, the value proposition is really Mark and I. I mean, when you when you're doing a VC, the the value proposition is usually the partners, their reputation, the value that they've uh, demonstrated in the market previously. So that's really the value proposition. The secondary value proposition is our is the platform that we're bring, building out within Passbook Ventures. So we have a platform that is basically network or community driven plus media and events, right? And that's both a pillar of supporting the founders and nurturing, you know, upcoming founders so they know about us and build our brand. And then the second part is once we've, you know, established our brand within their within them, we also want to elevate other conversations, their conversations in the business world, in the business press. One of the things that most people would notice is there's not a lot of voices like yours that are uplifting or giving people a platform so that they can speak. So what we said is that as a firm, we can build partnerships with um, media brands to support the distribution or the elevation of our founders. So our value proposition sort of continues to build as our firm continues to build. But overall, our strategy is basically media and events. So we partnered with the largest African tech conference called Social Media Week Lagos or Africa Next. We partnered with um, Black Enterprise um, to distribute a show called Tea Time. 
We have our own podcast called Venture the World. So we have these avenues that can really highlight and shine a light on the founders. So that's one element and we've been doing and executing against those. And then for um, you know the network or the community that we built, we built a community of fast growing fintechs around the world. So that's New Bank in Brazil to Flutterwave in Nigeria and you know, geo platforms in India, and we have these partnerships so that there can be rapid and easy conversations to discuss potential partnerships, potential collaborations, building collective uh, products with founders that we more of an institution. So what we've said is our value proposition that we sell is we're basically turning a firm uh, creating a firm that is built like what Chinadu and Mark is. So venture nomads that have the ability to speak on stages and um, get media mentions, but to turn that into a systematic process that, that does it. So given some of the examples that you've referenced, how has the process been for fundraising for this fund? I would say... You know, we started fundraising in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so that was very challenging in the sense that we had to pick up, we had to relearn what fundraising is, right? So fundraising generally would would be going to different conferences, meeting new people and reestablishing or refreshing old relationships. But when you can only use Zoom and trust is a, something that you have to build, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult process, but so what we did was we first, we went to start focusing on our community first. So that has gone well for us in terms of tapping in our, to our immigrant community and having them invest as initial investors. We also have institutions that have joined us in, this, um, in our process. And that has happened as we become more, as we built up an authenticity and a story that has been helpful for people to buy in because initially our first uh, our first iteration when we first started fundraising was our name was O21 and um, our thesis kind of evolved from just being the people who can connect firms in the U.S. to fast growing markets to you know where we actually have a significant advantage because you know I created the first immigrant led. Uh, immigrant focus accelerator in the United States called Tip Hub, right? And, you know, without relying on where we actually have a strategic advantage vis-a-vis any other firm, we will continue to build on that advantage. I invested in immigrants. Mark was the first person to bring, um, uh, you know, f- focusing in Alibaba and investing and creating their investment thesis. So we've we found our, our legs later in the process. Um, you know, it was middle of George Floyd, uh, well, post George Floyd, there was a lot of commitments made to diverse uh, fund managers or, you know, to see the ecosystem of diverse uh, for racial. And Do you think firms. much has changed as a result of those commitments? Has much In the changed? fundraising landscape, particularly? Yes, yeah, some things have changed. Not the volume and the percentage of funding that has gone to diverse fund managers, but more so than the amount of fund managers that has entered the space. So like the underlying- How is that that important? Underscore the importance of that. 
Yeah, so the number of managers that have entered the space has changed, right? So that has, you know, historically back in the 80s, there were a lot more diverse fund managers. They were operating as a partnership more, more than often with uh, the SBIC or the SBA, and they had a special license to do venture capital. And then now that, that kind of funding dried up in the early 90s. And then there's basically, there was this chasm of diverse led VCs. And in this period, there has been this growth of the firms that are now also, that are kind of returning to the number that there were, which was still pitiful, small, pitifully small. There was like 80, 90 then. Now there's a similar uh, number growing and a growing number. But the aggregate funding, because venture funding has blown up just generally, you know, mm-hmm. most um, legacy industries are being replaced with technology. So, you know, it's basically you migrate the investment from legacies to there. So the amount of venture funding has gone up and the amount of firms have gone up, but the percentage and the volume of funding hasn't gone. But the diversity commitments were good in terms of helping a lot of different firms get a beach head of uh, financial commitments. Um, but in aggregate, that didn't, that didn't mean that LPs or limited partners that invest in the funds that are by and large, mostly um, individual investors and by and large um, also LPs or pension funds and insurance companies, they haven't changed their tune. They haven't really mandated diversity um, some have, right? Some great institutions have have already, they were already doing it and they doubled down their efforts, but most uh, have, I mean, some are still skeptical about diversity uh, in and of itself, right? What's so to be, what's, what, what, what are they particularly skeptical about for the, the ones alpha, that you find to be skeptical? The alpha that diversity creates, right? Um, Explain that to our listeners who might not speak finance, venture finance, what that means. So um, generally across any portfolio, if you diversify, there's a idea that you would be able to, if you diversify and you pick good companies or big, pick good uh, items to invest in, then you will be able to uh, basically grow better than the market returns or just like if you went in as opposed to having one company that you invest in or having a small set, having that diversified portfolio is supposed to yield better returns and beat the market or the market in whichever way you want to describe it. If it's the S&P 500 or if it's, uh, you know, basically the benchmark of whatever industry that you're investing in. Now, what happens is when what diverse fund managers are most looking at the ones that have a diversity thesis or particularly focus on diverse founders in their network, what they consider as the alpha or the growth potential is the fact that there's a couple of layers. One, when a community doesn't have capital, the actual art doesn't, has been historically neglected for capital distributions. Usually the thesis is, well, that community's entrepreneur set, the ones that are alive and thriving actually are capital efficient because of that. And then they act, they will outperform competitors because they know how to operate in a leaner 
cash environment. So they, if you put more gasoline in a fire that burns without, you know, oxygen, then you're going to have a, a bigger fire. So that's, that's one element of the diversity thesis. The other is that there's talent everywhere. And if you di distribute capital in the same way that talent is distributed, that you will be able to get returns and the fund managers that are diverse have the highest access to those um, opportunities. So you can also say that even without there being some magic beans that um, diverse founders can manifest because they now have capital, it's just that if you give capital to the in the same amount to diverse uh, founders, that you're going to get the same like return profile that you would if you invested in non-diverse founders. So some people don't believe in e any any of that, and they either of those or any permutation of it, some people believe that, you know, there's a reason why these diverse founders don't have capital. There's a reason, like it's, you can use Yeah, the there's definitely a reason. First, right, <laughs> and you can say the reason, right? Like everyone can, you you know the reason that it's, it's really just when you have, when people have the decision-making authority, they don't allocate resources outside of their network. So when they meet people outside of the network, maybe a Chinadu, and they don't know how to vet me, they don't spend time doing it. It's not as easy as putting money. And even if they lose money on someone that they know, it's easier as an easier loss, right? Um, and which is one of the reasons why you have to really be good at branding if you're a diverse fund manager, if you're a diverse founder at all, you really have to make sure that you People can resonate with what you're doing and your brand because you know you are facing an uphill battle. So you have to you you have to counteract that with the best things, the best tools that you can. You know you can do inside baseball of networking, but then making sure that people also know about you outside of your circles and is is really yeah. what um, that's basically part of the thesis of the platform that we're creating that we know our founders are going to have challenge experience unique challenges of getting their voices heard getting known in the industry so we want to help that with uh with our media and events partnership. so this this leads me to pivot back to something you said earlier about reaching out to your network sort of laterally people you know to invest what's what was that process like for um sort of piloting investments from your network uh i can tell you there's a it was an interesting process because initially when we were fundraising in my experience i've been a fundraise i've been fundraising in different capacities for a long time and most of it i never went to my network of uh like my close intimate network of people that I know, I usually went outside of that network because that's just the type of deals that we're doing. They were of a scale, of a size and magnitude that I knew the people in my network really couldn't invest at that level. Um, so it was, it was interesting because I had to, you know, basically understand what people could actually commit in a reasonable amount. And, um, what I what I learned is that, you know, if you frame what you're doing, especially I've been doing it for a long time, focusing on the same sort of immigrant investing in technology and early stage where I built a brand that people knew what I was doing. So it was interesting. It's been interesting to work and and to work people through the process of, yes, you can be in venture as well. And it doesn't take 
a billion dollars to to uh, generate a great outcome. It it does take, you know, basically commitment. Though you know, you do have to commit, and we've created, we've tried to make it as seamless as possible, meaning that we're we we've our capital calls are almost like a subscription. So we make our capital calls evenly distributed through the whole investment period. And, you know, so it's like if you want to invest $100,000 over four years, you can divide it by four, divide it by four again. And then, you know, that one sixteenth every every quarter is whatever you commit, you're committing one sixteenth every quarter. So you can do a $10,000, essentially a $10,000 subscription or uh, so it's kind of a way of democratizing the process and making it more accessible, because I think part of the issue too, why, you know, a lot of people never thought that they could be investors, right, that you had to be accredited investors at this level and pass all these benchmarks. But now I'm seeing more of a move towards someone sort of democratizing that process and bringing in more people into that space as investors. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Now, I have to be very clear. We are only raising capital from accredited investors. Um, we just That I know, but I'm thinking in general about sort of, you know, bringing in more people as investors who normally would have been outside of that process. Absolutely. I think on two two sides of that, there's two sides of the coin. There's accredited investors that generally didn't think that their pockets were big enough to participate in venture. And then there's the average ordinary person that should be participating in the growth of the economy generally. And that's what, you know, 401ks and all of these sort of investment vehicles really are supposed to do. And what historically up until the late 2000s really did that you could participate in IPOs and the stock market is really how you were able to participate in the growth sector. Is there a gender lens to your deal source and for Passbook? Where do women fit into this, to what you're doing? Um, on two fronts, I tell you, um, like, like I said, we wanted our investors to reflect the type of founders we're invested in. So we made sure that we got diverse LPs that were women. Um, so I'm really proud that we have uh, th three Black women LPs um, in our fund. I think from that lens, we... We are sourcing diverse um, in terms of where what we consider diverse new Americans, we consider women of a segment of that diversity we have. Um, we are making investments in women. We have a, uh, a portfolio company that is a, is a woman that will be announced. So, I mean, we're diversity for us is um, it's never really been a challenge in my career in venture. I've always made sure whether it was my the accelerator tip hub whether it was at um, uh, Exponential Creativity Ventures, whether it was through my investor network affinity, women have always been, um, I, I just, I bet on women, you know, I mean, it's like 50% of the world. How, how am I going to fight with two hands, with one of my hands tied behind my back? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I don't, I mean, I do appreciate the challenges that, um, naturally face women in terms of their fundraising. Um, I just don't, I, my networks are filled, chuck full of very brilliant women that it would be hard to avoid that 
um, that talent pool for for venture funding. So um, I see other people have challenges with it, but it's not it's like not my problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's there's a lot of there's tons of women doing great things. So there's I, no pipeline yeah. issue. <laughs> not at all. Not I mean, not in my network. And I I appreciate that. Like I went to HBCUs. I've worked in institutions like the law firm I was working so at. When, when, when people say there's a pipeline issue, is it maybe because their network is not that, that diverse and that's why they don't have access to a wide group of different types of founders that are out there? I mean, it's, it's just simple. It's plain. It's like, unless you, you don't get water from watering holes you've never been to, right? Like you, you have to be in those spaces. You have to nurture those relationships and people have to think that you're genuine such that they feel comfortable pitching you their opportunities. At the end of the day, I always think that venture is like a really good business for nosy people because you get to like get in everyone's business, like literally. So it's it's not like before I was in business, before I was in venture, people weren't just coming up to me, talking to me about their business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I can imagine that that only happens when people feel like you're actually a place to go. And if people might know you, even if you do have diverse people in your network, right? If people don't know you to be a welcoming uh, place for women or for people of color, you know, most people, you know, a lot of people like to go where they're liked, right? That's like a natural- Go where the love is. Exactly. So And the money. Exactly. So all over time, I think I've built up a track record and credibility, not just to say I, I support diverse the diversity or like, you know, women are great or whatever. I've, I've invested in women. I've time and time again, it's just not, I mean, it's, it's hard to avoid picking the best if you're going, I mean, why would you for it's a fiduciary responsibility to get the best opportunities. Right. So I'm going to put forth the best opportunities, no matter who is behind them. Right. And at least the best opportunities in my network. Right. So. So this is a nice transition into the next question. Um, what advice do you have for immigrant founders looking for funding? You mentioned earlier about branding and making people know who you are. How important is that in the fundraising process? Well, I think it's very important because most of the elements of fundraising are about trust and your network. So the way that you can build that up is through going through someone else who has been invested in. So talking to someone's portfolio company founder and talking to them, that hopefully will translate into an introduction to their- um, How to their easy investor. is that? I mean, the thing is, this isn't an easy business. Nothing, nothing <laughs> in business is easy. But so if you have to talk to someone else to get an introduction to someone you don't know, that is what you have to do. If you that's, if that person- That is, is the game. Yeah, if that person isn't in your network, essentially that's what we're all doing. You want to send a cold, blind email to someone, it will work. Maybe they have a form on their website like we do, but ultimately what's going to really, like people are going to try to be biasless, but what's going to happen is through their- personal relationships, they're going to, you know, really start to do their due diligence and their filtering. They're going to try to be numeric, but ultimately investing is not a, and this is what I like to tell immigrant founders, investing is not a, it, it's not a, it's not a one plus one equals two. It's a social science. It's mostly behavioral. Like the reason to make it the decision 
is an intrinsic motivation that has very little to do with the financial decision. The intrinsic motivation is usually a gut decision based on trust, based on understanding of market and, and kind of just like a gut. And what essentially you have to be able to do is learn how to tell a story. That's just generally you're selling a stock, selling your business, selling the opportunity. So storytelling is an important part of the yes. process. It's a part of the process. So whether it's recruiting people, hold on one second. No. Okay. So the a very critical part of being a founder, whether you're an immigrant or not, is to be able to tell stories. You have to convince your team or new members of your team. You're going to have to convince stakeholders or people, customers. You, then you're going to have to convince and you have to convince investors, right? And I really just spoke to which are the most important ones in the order of things. So being, a, uh, being uh, able to craft a brand and a story, personal and business, such that you can raise capital, because especially at the earliest stages, people are investing in you. People have to understand that you will, when they put money in you, that you will, you know, what people always say, walk through walls and, you know, brush down walls or go through problems because ultimately people are having the faith that putting a dollar in your account versus keeping it in theirs makes them more money. Not only that, it makes them a gigantuan amount of money when it's venture. It's like giving you a dollar, you turn it into a hundred. So you're the special sauce, right? And if you don't come off like special sauce, that is like true, like, okay, this is something that people can believe in because you have to balance the salesmanship with the, with, with reality. But if you don't come off- So you're saying they, they got to learn how to be saucy? Yeah, you have to be saucy. <laughs> you, you have to have confidence. Um, you know, uh, one of my friends, she runs- Black Girl Ventures, and she calls it, you know, you're a business athlete, right? Like, and uh, in venture, um, unfortunately, it's not built for most businesses, but it seems like the only type of capital out there for early stage companies, but it's not built for most businesses. It's actually like, imagine if there were shoes, right? And the shoes that you, you're trying to put on your feet are only built for Olympians that are doing decathlons, and you're trying to wear it down, walking it down the street. It's it may be uncomfortable, it may not be suited for you. So the, what I would say is, but if you want to get that capital, you have to be an Olympic athlete, you're going to have to be special. And what can you, how can you craft your story to make people understand that this is special, this is unique, right? I am unique, I will make this happen. And, you know, crafting that story and making sure not only you say it, that other people who are around you that have mm -hmm. met you, that understand you would also vouch for it is really where people are going to um, get from, you know, so I would, I would say, you know, owning that. And that's something that I would say is really uh, from a, you know, you, we mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, woman or female founders. And I would say sometimes part of my process has been. I was just going to get into that question. So is there any difference that you would give between a male or a female immigrant founder if you're giving advice? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that like one, the founder that we invested in, uh, I learned after like um, advising them for a year. Um, 
I advised them for over a year. And then I didn't realize that, you know, the, that she was a professor of law, like she was a trial ad, trial advocacy professor at Harvard. She didn't lead with that. She didn't drop it at all. She buried the lead. Exactly. And I, you know, I was going to invest anyway, because I could tell the caliber of person that they, that they are, the team is. And I, you know, I saw them execute against their goals and milestones. So it was easier to, to understand who they are, what they're doing. But what I, what I saw was like, I mean, they, they don't have trouble fundraising, but what I saw is like this, when, if it was other groups, or like if it was a male, I usually see that. And drop. you can say, cause men, men will gas themselves up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is you're in, you're in the arena, right? Like, and uh, you have so only so much time and you want people to know that they're dealing with something special. And I don't think all guys know this. I don't think, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's, but when, when you realize you're sometimes as a f- investor, sometimes I realize I'm meeting a freight train, right? Like I met a founder that is, is uh, very comfortable in their skin and in this kind of relationship between investors and, fa- and, uh, and, um, and founder. And that is a signal that this, you know, maybe there's something to say, be said that people should be able to read other signals, right? Like uh, not only one signal uh, works, but very often, you know, that signal generates returns, right? In terms of fundraising, in terms of recruitment. And so um, it's something and that, that signal is that. confidence. The signal is, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's an element of confidence, um, I would say, but it's really more um, it's really more kind of like this. Um, it's almost like this energy around. It's the energy kind of charisma. Like you, what is it? Let's we have to name it. Yeah, we have to name it. It is. It's charisma. It's energy. It's. It's really more like you. You recognize that you're dealing with someone that is that is running their company, right, and running the process between you and them, right. So I. I don't. I don't want to make it seem like someone has to have charisma, but it's the approach of the relationship and the dynamic that is set in between the two people. You can tell when there's a difference. You can tell when someone's also using things that you know that they need to include to position themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, um, I, I would tell, I always said this, like sometimes I feel like a lot of fundraising people think it's jazz, like they can do their own approach and then people will recognize their own approach for the brilliance it is, as opposed to it being like, you know, this very formulaic uh, paint by numbers, like it it winds down to the paint by numbers kind of feeling like, am I seeing this? Am I seeing that this is what was missed? I didn't hear anything in these spaces. And though some of those things have, a lot of those things have very little to do with their actual business, but it has to do with, okay, is this person going to be able to deal with challenges? Are they going to, do they hear coaching? Like, so you can't be super confident to the point where you don't even listen to the people that want to give you capital, but there's, there's a, there's a range of it that that's kind of like soft skills that you're seeing someone use in that moment that someone doesn't, they, that person doesn't have to be on all the time, but at least in that moment when they're in, inter, in the interchange with you, 
that they show you their like level of sort of EQ, emotional intelligence, brilliance that kind of takes over from a business perspective where you see that maybe people will follow this person. And it can happen on the technical side, not just the um, sort of business driven side. You can see that some people will be able to recruit strong technical people and that they can really explain the concept that they're building against and all that. And it's like, that's also inspirational. That's another flavor of the same thing, but they also manage the business, right? So uh, I would say those are the things I would say is the differences that I've seen. Chinadu, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners for joining another episode of the WTF podcast. If you would like to appear on the show, please send me an email at wordsoffunding at gmail.com. Where to find us? We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Anchor, all of those places. So please subscribe, stream, rate, download, all of those good things. And see you again for another episode of the WTF podcast. Thanks, Janetu.